Well, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Acts, and uh, last weekend uh, we had Dr. Martini was here, and he shared a great message with us, and he covered the whole chapter of uh, four in the book of Acts, and this morning I'm going to pick up just the end of the chapter, because there's some pieces there that I, I wanted us to explore together uh, over this these last these few minutes that we have together as we just explore what does this look like for the early church to be birthed and what is the role that the Holy Spirit has in the church, not just then, but now, today, for us. Those of us who are living life know that challenges in life come in many forms. I want you to think about that for a minute. What kind of challenges have you faced? Maybe what kind of challenges are you facing? Um, I, I can think of things, you know, in, uh, you know, if I look back, it's like, as a teenager, what kind of challenges? Those are different than when I'm an adult. But there can be challenges around health, finances, relationships, uh, employment, uh, you name it. If you're a student, you know, the challenge might be your classes and getting the right grades and the expectations that you place on yourself. Uh, as, you, as you age, uh, health becomes more of a concern as you think about those things. And so there's challenges in life. And I'm framing this message in that way just to, because the early church had challenges. And they're not the same challenges that we may have as a church. They may be similar. They may, may not be the challenges that you and I have as individuals. But God understands and knows the challenges that we have, and I believe this text helps us understand how do we face the challenges that come our way. So let's read the text together. Acts chapter 4, encourage you to look it up on your device, or if you have a actually hard copy like I do, um, then look it up. Acts chapter 4, we want to read from verse 23 to verse 37. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Lord, open our eyes and ears to hear the word that you have for us this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want you to notice about challenges in the early church is that this group of people had been brought before the religious leaders of the day. They had been imprisoned. Uh, They had been warned. They had been told what was going to happen, that they could potentially be put to death. And yet they continued to lean into what God had called them to. And the first thing I want you to notice of this group is that their response in opposition and challenge was to turn and to begin to praise God. That may seem very counterintuitive to us, right? Where we would go, oh my goodness, I need to solve this problem or I need to figure something else out. But rather this group stops and says, let's have a prayer meeting. What does that say uh, for the early church, I think there was this, this sense of which they needed to continually face God. I think for the church today, we need to live that way as well. We need to be those who, when there's an issue, we, we need to come together and pray. Uh, I'm encouraged that we have a group on Sunday morning that meets at 10 o'clock. It's one of our electives, but it's a group that just simply meets to pray. And if you want to join that group, they're upstairs. You'll see it. It's called Just Pray. So it's not about let's learn how to, it's just let's do it. Uh, so we, not that we don't need classes and how to do it better, but we certainly need to just be, activate prayer. So their response was this prayer. And it was a response of praise to God. Throughout Scripture, we have many examples of people caught in the most difficult circumstances and responding in praise and worship to God. And you find it throughout the Old Testament that people, when there were difficulties, they would turn and they would respond in praise. I've been reading through Jeremiah and now Lamentations, and so I'm going to give you two examples of Jeremiah as one of those who struggled, as somebody who who was given a task, a hard task by God, to tell people what God was saying to them, to warn them, to say, if you keep going down this path, it's not going to go well. And, you know, people often don't want to hear that kind of warning. They want to say, well, it looks good to us. We're just going to keep going. And Jeremiah was called to do this, and he suffered for it. But listen to what he writes and says in Lamentations, a couple of texts, Lamentations 3, 7 to 9, where he says this, He, God, has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Now, Jeremiah is saying, this is, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on. God, you're not listening to me. You've called me to do this hard thing, and now you're actually not helping me. And he's struggling. And I love it because he's being honest. This is how it really feels. This is what the sense is. But he also has a perspective that we need to hear, and that is found in Lamentations chapter 3, where he says, Yet, so all of the above, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So what I like about this, we, it, it, the scriptures teach us we don't minimize, we don't ignore 
what's going on. God doesn't ignore it. God knows. God understands. He walks with us. But at the same time, there's a sense in which God says, turn to me. Look to me in the midst of it. So Jeremiah is one example, and there's many others. In verses 25 to 28 of the text that I just read, there's this response of what I'm calling purposeful reality. The prayer contains some very specific situations. Talks about Herod and Pilate and what they did to Jesus. And in the midst of these specific situations, they're praying these out to God. God, this is what was happening. This is what took place. Look at what's happened to us. And God wants us to live in our reality, but not to be limited simply to our circumstances. That's what I see in this text, is there's this response of purposeful reality. This is what we're dealing with. Notice that in the text, they talk about David and they talk about Jesus. And the descriptive word that is used for both Jesus and David is the word servant. And we'll pick that up in a moment because that's the same word that they use to describe themselves. They are servants of God. David was a servant. Jesus, even though he was God himself, was a servant. So there's this response of purposeful reality. In verses 29 to 30, we get a a response of what I'm calling a powerful request. They're in the midst of this challenge. They've been warned, they've been threatened, they've been beaten, and now they've been, they're coming before God, and instead of saying, God, protect me, they say something completely different. But they see themselves as God's servants. Notice what they say. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and what? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That just sounds so counterintuitive. Lord, protect me. I'm going to put my head down. Hopefully nothing bad happens. I'll just wait. That's not their prayer. If you were to go and ask people who are living in difficult countries like China, Iran, their prayer isn't that God would rescue or save them. Their prayer is that God would give them boldness to preach the word of God in the midst of extreme opposition. It's something that we just, in us in North America, we just don't understand. Uh, generally, we, don't get our, we can't get our head around that because we don't live with that kind of opposition. It's not that we don't have any, but it's just not like that. And so I would encourage us to pray like they pray. Notice that this group isn't praying out of um, a sense of pridefulness, but they rather there's a deep level of humility here when they call themselves servants of God. We're here to serve you. We'll do what you call us to do. And out of these circumstances, this group doesn't call on God uh, to, to do something uh, that's minimalistic, but rather says, God, give us boldness, give us courage, give us strength to continue to do the thing that you have called us to do. And the church has been called to make disciples of all nations, saying that Jesus is the response is the answer that people need to hear to see what he's done for them. So they're in the middle of this prayer. Uh, they, they, have, they have this particular time of prayer, and they're worshiping God together in the midst of these challenges. But notice what it says in verse 31. After they prayed, God responds. God responds with action and affirmation. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I hope there's moments in my life where God's going to respond and going to shake the world. No amens? You're all afraid that he's going to shake the world, and then what? If God responds and actually shakes the world, it's saying, I'm, I'm here. So this group that are praying are saying, God, are you, are you here? Like, this is what we're asking for. And God says, and I want to deliver. And I want to deliver. And so he shakes. And not only does he shakes, but his shaking makes them unshakable. And they're going to proclaim the message of the gospel, where it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I want you to notice these these two things. There's an outward focus. There's this filled and emboldened focus. So as the place was shaken, there the unshaken, their resolve was to share the good news of Jesus. That had not changed. For us today, that message hasn't changed. Our calling as the church of Jesus Christ is to share the message that Jesus is the way to the Father. That is, that is our calling. Now, there are multiple ways to do that, but that is the central nugget that the church, we as the church need to hold on to. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what that means because you've accepted him, you've seen the life change that's happened in your life. And in the same way that you have received that gift, you want to share the gift with others. So this group that are meeting, they're praying, Lord, give us boldness to continue to share this gift that you have given to us. And God responds outwardly by filling them with the Holy Spirit, by shaking the place and emboldening them to share the good news, to continue to go out in the face of challenges and opposition. So there's an outward focus that's coming toward them. Then there's also an inward focus. You see it in verse 32. So God shows up, and this inward focus is that unites them and they begin to encourage and share with each other. So I think both of these are a response to the prayer. It isn't one or the other. You notice that probably in your Bible there's a paragraph break. I want you to know that paragraph breaks in Scripture are not spirit-empowered or directed, and so we need to learn to read through things. Sometimes there's breaks that are pretty natural, but there's times where we need to learn to read through things, and this is one of those times where this response was, the place is shaken, the Holy Spirit comes, they speak with boldness, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. That is part of that, that response. You see, when God shows up, he wants to unite us. And he wants to unite us around the good news of Jesus, the gospel message, and living that out. So there's this inward focus of unity and sharing. The prayer of Jesus in John, was that his followers would be united. And this unity comes, not because we, we want it, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. So one of the prayers that I pray, that, you, that I invite you to pray for the church, is for unity. Because if we're praying for unity, we are praying exactly what Jesus said. And we don't need to doubt whether that's something God wants. Because it is for sure. So there's this outward focus of being filled by the Spirit and emboldened to preach. There's an inward focus of being united and sharing together. The next section in verses 32 to 35 is what I would call a response of practical worship. 
So too often we limit worship to what happens for an hour on a Sunday morning or when a church meets. Or we limit it even more by saying, it's well, it's the songs that we sing or something else. And I would suggest to you that this text shows us what worship really is. It is everything that we do, all of our lives are to be worship. So we see it here again in verse 33. There's an outward and an inward focus. The outward focus is that they continue to proclaim the resurrected Jesus. Even as they worship through sharing and meeting needs among the followers, they also continue to witness to the work of Jesus and particularly to his resurrection. Now, why is that important? And I think I've said it here before, but I'll say it again. The resurrection of Jesus is the most powerful event that's ever taken place. Every other faith leader has died and not risen again. Jesus is the only faith leader who came to the earth and said, I will rise again. And he did. And then he went to be with the Father. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a powerful event that took place that should point us to how powerful God is and how he is at work even now. So there's this outward focus of as the church worships, they proclaim the resurrected Jesus. Then there was an inward focus that is also part of their worship. It was grace in practice. It talks about, and the grace of God. His God's, and grace is defined as his free, unwarranted favor is now seen in how they care and they love each other. So this unity has now bringing them to this action of living it out. This is the second mention. So in, as you go back a few chapters in the book of Acts, earlier on, there was also this sense in which they lived together and they served each other and they provided for one another. Now it's mentioned again. So we should pay attention to this when, when we see these things being repeated. You know, there's a statement that uh, says they, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And that's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's an action. They'll know we are Christians because we care about each other. The text talks about according as anyone had need. It's the first time that's mentioned. It's not mentioned in the other passage. But it meant that there were no needy persons. Everyone's needs were met. So the, the apostles, the disciples, the church as a whole was about 5,000 people, maybe a few more. And they were saying, we need to look after each other. And they were doing that. The need was shared. So that those who had means to provide did so with open hearts and minds. So there were needs and they were just met. Now I don't think we need to push this too far. Some people have chosen to do that. I, don't th I think when I read this and I read actually the next section of the text, and we'll look at it in a minute, is this is looking for, at people who had extra, who had lots, who were saying, how can we help? How can we serve? And they would go and they would sell things and they would provide for the rest of those who had nothing. And so that's what the church was about. In verses 36 and 37, we see an example of this. And I think it's important that they give us an example. Because it's like, well, what, what did that look like? And so they talk about Joseph. We were introduced to Joseph, who as a Levite would have been able to serve in the temple. I don't know if he did because it says he was from Cyprus, so he didn't live in Jerusalem. But this Joseph is known for his generosity and for encouragement, and so they actually give him a nickname. 
And we're going to see this gentleman show up throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And his name is, his nickname is Barnabas, son of encouragement. And as we see him, we're going to learn more and more about him. But his desire was to care for others and to share his abundance. So he had, he had some land. It wasn't where he was living. He had something else. So he said, oh, I'll sell this land. And notice how he does it. And this is really important. He does it with a sense of humility. He simply brings the money and doesn't say, well, here's this money. I think you should use it here. But he just goes as a servant to the apostles, and it says he takes the money and he lays it at their feet. Now, you have to understand, socially, culturally, Joseph, Barnabas, was far above the apostles. They didn't own anything. They had nothing. They had, when they were following Jesus, they had given up their fishing boats. They'd, they just decided they were, they were there to follow Jesus. So culturally and socially, they should have been bowing down to him and saying thank you. And in that culture, that he would have become a patron. We have these things in, in our day, don't we? Like you can be a patron of an organization, uh, of a non, uh, non-profit. But I notice here, he comes in humility and just simply presents them the, the, the money, and they use it to care for the needs of those in the church. There's a lot of interesting things that we need to sort of grapple with this morning when it comes to challenges. We get to this section that I like to call, What Now? And the, the place where I want to start is I want you to think about what challenges are you facing? So think about that. What challenges are you facing? Sometimes those challenges can sort of be that negative, like health. Sometimes a challenge can also be a positive. For example, what do I, you know, in, in my situation might be, what, what do I do, what am I doing with my money? If I have extra, what am I doing with it? Do I, do I look after myself? Do I look after others? What would God want me to do with the money that I have? Now, that, that's for me. I don't know what it is for you. I want you to think about what challenges you're facing. And from this text, I would suggest the first place that you and I need to start is we need to start with praise and with Scripture. The early church used, you know, used that that psalm that's quoted is Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And they began by worshiping and praying and bringing it to to God, to call out to God for help, to reach out to Him and say, God, would you show me what I need to do? Here's the challenges that I'm facing. Here's the reality of my life. When uh, Brent and I were much younger and were pastoring in a very rural community here in Saskatchewan, um, we were living on what I would describe as a minimal amount of funds. uh, And there were times where it was really difficult so that we didn't have a lot of extra. So our challenge at that point in our lives was, Lord, help us to figure out how to use our money wisely that we have. As life changes and we get older and we have less expenses, now it's, Lord, help us, as we think about our finances, Lord, help us to use our money wisely because we have money that we can give away. And there's lots of need out there. So it may not even be a challenge. The challenge that I'm facing is how do I do the positive, not how do I struggle through the negative. 
So I wanted to just frame it that way for you so you don't just think about it's got to be the hard things. It can actually be the, the really the blessing things, like how am I going to do this and how am I doing it well? Secondly, what challenges that you see, and then where is God calling you to show his grace? I just love that text in the scripture that says his grace. They were, they were living out God's grace, his unmerited favor. Can I, be really, can I be really blunt with you? You live in Saskatoon. When you look at Saskatoon, what do you see in this city? Some of you live in Warman. I forgive you for, forgive me for saying you live in Saskatoon. Some of you live outside of the city, I get that. But when, I, I, I mean, I, I watch the news, you watch the news a little bit, uh, and I, I don't know about you, but winter's coming in Saskatoon. And what does that mean? It means that those people that have been living homeless down on the river need a place to go. And there's lots of talk about that. Now you might say, well, that's an age-old problem and nothing's going to be solved, and I get it. You could say that. But I don't think Joseph, the son of encouragement, would respond that way. He would say, what can I do? Now, all of us individually can't do a whole lot. But all of us corporately can. So we have some opportunities um, that I want you to think about. So I, I, I try to be in the know, so I actually went on the government website and I've mentioned this before, but I went on the government website, and I know that you are, if, you're, if you did your taxes last year, and I hope you did, that you are all going, if you did, you, you're all going to get $500 by the end of November. And my challenge to you is if you don't need that money, my challenge is would you please give it somewhere that's going to make a difference? I don't know what that is, okay? I'll give you an example. BC did the same thing uh, probably two years ago where they gave us some money, and I, I, I think we had to apply for it. I don't know. Do you need to apply for this? No? Is it just coming? That's what I, I didn't, didn't say you had to apply for it. BC, we had to apply for it. But it's the same thing. It's tax-free, yada, yada, yada. The government's not going to try to claw it back and all of that. So BC did that a few years ago. We went, we actually did a, we had a family meeting, so we have... For three of our kids, one of our kids lives in the U.S., three of our kids were together. We said, what, do, do you need the money? No, we don't need, we don't need, the, the government doesn't need to help us here. And I said, so what, do, what could we do? If we don't claim it, it just goes away. If we do claim it, we could use it for good. So we said, you know what, let's claim it. So we did. Now we have, there's, again, there's lots of opportunities but one of the relationships that we have, and that's where I would ask you to consider this, so I don't know what God would ask you to do, but if you have a relationship with an organization or with someone, for us, in that moment, we support a lady who is on a long-term disability. And her long-term disability gives her $1,400 a month, and her rent is $1,200. So you know that she doesn't have enough to live on. So we're constantly, feels like we're constantly helping and we need to check our attitude when that happens. When this money was being offered to us, we, I just said to Brenda and I made a decision. We were just going to give her our $1,000. And she could use it to pay bills. She could use it to do whatever. And that's what we did. And I'm not saying, yay us. I'm just saying, how can I be like Barnabas and be a servant? And if there's something that you're getting that you don't need, 
would you use it to invest in people's lives? So that's my challenge to us. And I'm really, in, I'm really curious to hear your stories. So when you do something like that, I just, could you come? Could you email me? Could you text me? Could you call me and just say, Reg, I want to let you know this is what I did with the $500 that I didn't need that the government gave me. Because I want to be encouraged, and I want you to be encouraged. Like I said, if you need the funds, please use them. Many of you may be struggling to pay bills, to eat. I get all that. So I'm not asking you. I'm asking those of us who may not need it to do that. Also, we can, so that's, that, that's pretty particular. Hopefully I don't get myself in a lot of trouble for that, but I'm putting it out there. Uh, another way that you and I, and we all need to do this, and it has nothing to do with money, but we can all be sharers of God's grace with those around us. A smile, a warm greeting, a listening ear is all a way of showing God's grace. So if you have no money, you have this. You can still do this. You can show God's grace. And finally, I would say, how can you and I, how can we be encouragers of others? This week, could you just do a simple thing like one person you haven't seen for a while? Call them, text them, email them, meet them for a coffee, make a meal, invite someone over. Be a Barnabas for each other. Don't be those who wait and go, I hope somebody's a Barnabas to me. Be those who say, I'm going to be a Barnabas to somebody else. It doesn't matter if somebody's a Barnabas to me. I want to be an encourager. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this great text that we've just unpacked in very practical ways this morning. Thank you that you are a, a, a good God who blesses us, that in the midst of our challenges, whatever they may be, that you are present, that you care, and that you have placed us uh, potentially within a body, a group of people who can care and walk together. Lord, thank you for people like Barnabas, who's an encourager just to us even today. Someone who is humble and willing to give. And Lord, may we be those kinds of people as we want to live out the ch- uh, being what the church is about. But Father, we cannot do it without the anointing of your Holy Spirit, without you being active. So we invite you to act in our lives and on our behalf for your glory, we pray, Jesus. Amen.